0: morning uh, the sermon for the sermon today scripture reading is taken from first Timothy verse 1 to 11 that is first Timothy 1 to 11 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may teach certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from this and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. Or what they so confidently affirm verse 8 we know that the law is good if one uses it properly we also know that law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers For adulterers and perverts, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms the glorious gospel of the blessed Lord, which he entrusted to me.
1: Thanks John for reading scripture for us. Um, Let's go to God in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts. Precious Father, as we've just sung, we also pray that you would speak. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word, build your church, make us more like your son, we pray in his name. Amen. What is truth? What is truth? You know, Roman Governor Pilate said these words to Jesus thousands of years ago. You know, what is truth? In our day and age, Pilots' cynical and and sceptical words seem more appropriate than ever. Two years ago, in 2016, Oxford dictionaries chose post-truth as their word of the year, post-truth. The dictionary defines post-truth as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So you know, we've left aside objective facts, and, and we now appeal to just emotions and personal belief. Now, we live in an age of post-truth and fake news. You know, last year, you know, how many of you stopped buying fair price rice? <laughs> you know, early last year, the news came out, what news came out that uh, fair price rice had plastic in it. Many people believed it. And many people stopped buying Fair Price brand rice. In fact, some shoppers started queuing up outside Fair Price, bringing their packets back and asking for a refund because they refused to eat plastic. Now, the problem with fake news is not just that it's fake. The problem is that fake news leads people to do things that are wrong, that are misguided, even downright dangerous. The phenomenon of fake news illustrates that what we believe affects how we behave. There's this connection between what we believe and what we do. If you believe that fair price has plastic in its rice, you will not buy fair price rice. Believe, behave. And the connection between truth and life, between believing and behaving, is the reason why Paul writes 1 Timothy. He tells Timothy in Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If you're looking for you know, theme verses that summarize the message of this letter, it's really here. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things, meaning the, the whole letter, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth verses for the letter of 1 Timothy. Who are we? Paul says we are the church of the living God, Uh, church assembly. We we are a gathering of God's people made alive through the living God, the the God who died and rose again, Jesus Christ. We are God's household or family. God is our Father. We are His children adopted in Christ Jesus, God's beloved Son. And God has gathered us, He's adopted us to be a pillar and truth, pillar and buttress of His truth. And what does it mean to be a pillar and buttress? It means that our job as God's people is to hold up. That's what a pillar does, right? That's that's what the buttress, the foundation does. It it holds up something. And our job is to hold up God's truth. Now, our witness in the world depends on this. We're called to glorify God by putting His truth on display, We put His truth on display, we hold up His truth through what we say, through what we proclaim, as well as through how we live our lives. You you notice that those two verses, in, in verses 14 and 15, Paul speaks about knowing how we ought to behave. Know, behave. Believe, behave. We believe the truth in order to live the truth. And Paul's focus in 1 Timothy is not just how we live as individual Christians. His, his concern is how we live together as the people of God. In fact, this is his emphasis in the letter. God cares about how we do church, you know, how we conduct our services like this one. God cares about how we organize our leadership. God cares about how we treat one another in the church. Now, when it comes to how we do church, you know, it, it's especially easy To fall back on what we've always done, right? Tradition. It's easy to fall back on what we think works, pragmatism. It's easy to fall back on what we see in the world, culture. But God is calling us to do church according to His truth, not according to just tradition or pragmatism or culture, but according to what His Word says. It won't be easy. Because God is calling us to put aside any belief, tradition, pragmatic practice or cultural norm that is not aligned with His truth. Now, God is actually calling us, like what Proverbs 3 does, God is calling us to trust Him. Now, when it comes to doing church, God is saying, hey, trust me. Now, don't, don't lean on your own understanding, but trust me. Trust me. This is not my church. It's not Ian's church not the elders' church. It's not, it's not even your church. 1 Timothy 3 tells us that this is God's church. You know, we, it doesn't belong to us in that sense, but it belongs to God. And because it belongs to God, we are His household. He has every right as the head of this household to tell us how we should live. You know, we are God's household and as we begin this new sermon series through 1 Timothy, you know, it's my prayer that God will give us open hearts. Hearts that are open and, and receptive to His truth as He tells us what it means for us to live as the people of God. And the good news is that the more we listen to God, the, the more we actually look like Him. Right? That, that's the good news of, of listening to God's Word. The more we listen to God's Word, the more our church will look like Him. So, so let's dive into the text we have before us, uh, the charge. You know, first point, the charge, guard the truth. And this, is Paul, this is Paul's main command to Timothy in these verses. Look at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now The word charge is, 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 the, is the same word used in, in, in military context. I command you not to, to urge these men not to teach false doctrine. This was Timothy's job, to guard God's truth by putting a stop to the false teaching that was causing trouble at the church in Ephesus. In Acts 18, we read about how Paul had planted the Ephesian church during his second missionary journey. He later returned to the same church and spent two years with them, teaching and using the church as a base of operations for his work in Asia. And in Acts 20, Paul calls the Ephesian elders to himself as he's passing by And he says these words to them in Acts 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to pastor the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul tells these men that God through his spirit has set you apart as elders to serve him as church leaders. Therefore, keep watch over yourselves. Shepherd, pastor the believers whom God has entrusted to your care. You know, he tells these elders that you are to love God's church because this church belongs to him. He, he bought it with his own blood. And Paul also warns these men in Acts 20. You know, these very striking words in Acts 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he goes on to say, and from among your own selves, i.e. even among yourselves, as elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's, that's kind of like the parting shot that Paul leaves with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Then you fast forward a few years, we get to 1 Timothy, and sadly Paul's prophetic words have come true. You know, he says certain, pe- certain persons, probably the elders of the church, Some of the elders of the church, what were they doing? They were teaching things that were different from the apostolic gospel that Paul had taught to this church. You know, the problem is a serious one. Believers are being led astray from God's truth, away from godliness. And the situation is so urgent that, you know, when you read this letter, Paul dispenses with pleasantries. You know, normally if you read Paul's letters, he starts with a greeting and thanksgiving. You look at opening verses of this letter, no thanksgiving. You know, Paul jumps straight from greeting to, hey, I charge you, put an end to this false teaching. You know, that, that tells us that this situation is an urgent one. Paul's not, you know, trying to kind of skirt the issue, but he's going right, he's aiming right for the jugular, saying, guard the truth, guard the truth. You know, even a church planted by Paul, taught by him for a few years, is susceptible to danger of false teaching. You know, this should really humble us. You know, how much more for us? You know, this, this is a crucial reminder that we cannot take the truth for granted. You know, how, how many of you have flown before? You know, I think most of us have, have flown before, right? You know, you get onto the plane, you put on your seatbelt, the first thing that happens is that you hear a, a safety announcement. How many of us actually take the safety announcement seriously? You know, we don't, we don't take out our notepads and, wow, this is really important, better take notes, you know. Better take out the safety card and read it, study it carefully. You know, we don't do that, right? We, we don't why do we why don't we do that? You know, we don't do that because we've kind of taken that for granted, right? Say, yeah, I hear it all the time. You know, I I I take planes often enough. I, I know what they're gonna say. You know, don't put your bags in the aisle, lift up all tray tables, you know, store your luggage in the overhead compartments, etc. etc. You know, we we know we know the drill. And because we know the drill so well, we're so familiar with the safety announcement we've stopped listening. We've stopped listening. You know, My, my worry is that, you know, especially as a pastor, someone who's in the Word, you know, as, as my job, I worry that I'll stop listening. You know, and just and regard this as something professional that I do. Yeah, yeah, I've got to prepare Bible study, I've got to prepare sermon, so I'll just do it, like a safety announcement. That, that's the danger that we face, especially those of us who've been Christians a long time. Have we stopped listening? Now, because we know the drill, right? We, we come here on Sundays, we go for CG, we do our quiet times. I mean, all those are good things, great things, good things to do, but have we actually stopped listening? You know, we, we must be constantly in the Word, but, but not just in mechanical, spiritual discipline sort of way, but we must be in the Word to know God, to know Him more and more. It's not just about pursuing intellectual knowledge. It, it's about ensuring that our hearts are open and soft to God and His Word. You know, guarding the truth is about actually humbling our hearts before God. You know, it's, not a, it's not an intellectual academic exercise where we're just fighting about what's true, but no, it, it's, a, it's an act of submission to God. It's an act of humbling ourselves before God and saying to God, teach me. That's what Ian reminded us. You know, we, we, we serve because we are taught by God. You know, We're constantly allowing God's Word to shape our hearts so that we see more and more of His glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we see the glory of Christ more and more, we, 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 we love Him more and more. Our hearts, are, our hearts come alive more and more. I think that's what it means to Truly love and guard the truth. It's really another way of saying worship God. Worship God by loving Him with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. You know, Sometimes the, the danger of false teaching is obvious. You know, someone teaches or does something that's you know, blatantly wrong and you can kind of say, oh, that, that's clearly wrong and you can't avoid it. But false teaching isn't always so easy to spot. You know, in the case of the Ephesian church, the false teachers were among the elders, and their teaching sounded plausible. You know, it was persuasive. Now we don't know all the details, but what from what Paul says here, the teaching was probably a mixture of Old Testament genealogies, like what we read in Genesis, you know, Adam begat Seth and, and so on. So a mixture of Old Testament genealogies and mixed in with the Old Testament, other parts of the Old Testament law, and then mixed with plenty of unbiblical ideas and speculation. You know, so that, that's as far as we know what, the, what these false teachers were saying in the Ephesian church. You know, and Paul says that the Old Testament law wasn't the problem. You know, the Old Testament law is good. He says in verse 8, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You know, Paul says the, the, elsewhere that the law is meant to convict us of sin, to show us our need for God's grace. The law is meant to point us to Jesus Christ. And in this sense, the law is good. But the problem was that the false teachers were using the law wrongly. They used it as a springboard to teach their own ideas, thinking that their understanding of the law made them more righteous. They're they're sort of like a negative example of what it means to not submit ourselves to God's Word and try to bend the Bible to serve our own agenda. One of the tips of public speaking is that it doesn't matter if you don't know what you're talking about. You know, just say it with a lot of confidence. <laughs> you know, just say it with a lot of passion and fervor, even if you don't know what you're talking about. Just say it with a lot of confidence. People, oh yeah, that you know, that guy must be right because he's saying it with a lot of conviction. You know, preachers do the same as well, right? You know, we, you know, in, in maybe in the, in the culture in the past, we used to like bang the pulpit, you know, thump our Bibles. You know, nowadays, you know, maybe it's more fashionable to manipulate emotions through sad stories, uh, telling jokes, using a lot of humour. You know, we, we entertain you know, preachers entertain people with charisma. You know, the false teachers sounded very impressive and knowledgeable in the way they made. Paul says they, they made confident assertions, you know. They, they they sounded very convicted of what they were saying. But Paul says they actually understand nothing. It's a good reminder to us that being a good communicator isn't enough, and that we shouldn't, sim- we shouldn't listen to someone simply because he's a good speaker. You know, Paul says we need to know what he's actually saying. Does it line up with the Word of God? The danger of false teaching is even closer and more insidious than we think. Sometimes we read a passage like this, you know, guard the truth, and we think, yeah, you know, guard the truth, that's a job for the elders. They should guard the truth. You know, we just follow them as they guard the truth. But not so. You know, many of us may not be teachers of the word in a formal sense, but I want us to realize that we're all involved in teaching. You realize that? we're all involved in teaching. In fact, the scripture says one of the characteristics of the new covenant people of God is that we teach. You know, We teach one another because we all have the spirit. Right? So how are we involved in teaching? You know, think about your relationships during the week as a parent, as a spouse, as a colleague, as a friend. We, we teach one another through the conversations that we have with one another. And the question is not if we teach. The, the question is what are we saying in our conversations to one another? You know, are, we, are we holding up the truth and, and saying things that are true to one another? I.e., I, are, are we speaking God's truth to one another? You know, it doesn't have to be uh, open the Bible and do a Bible study with you. But it, it, it's my counsel, is my advice to you, is it biblical? Is it helping you to know Jesus and become more like Him? You know, I, I put it to us that we are all teachers. In this sense, whether we're conscious of it or not, we are teaching all the time. And we also say that all of us struggle with false teaching. Every single one of us. We all struggle with false teaching. We say, wait, wait a minute, what, what do you mean? How many of us sin? You know, the fact that we sin tells us that we struggle with false teaching. We believe false things about God. You know, sin, sin isn't just doing something wrong. Sin is often the, the product of believing something false about God. Have you ever think about your sin in that way? Yeah, let, me give you some, let me give you some examples. I, I believe that God actually isn't worthy of all of my worship. What does that look like? I, I chase after worldly success and want to make a name for myself because I believe that God isn't actually worthy of all of my worship. You know, I get frustrated and impatient. Why? Because I question the wisdom of God and, and the wisdom of His plan for my life, and I want to kind of speed up that plan, right? So I get frustrated and impatient. You know, I get worried and anxious. Why? Because I doubt God's faithfulness to provide for all of my needs. I fear loneliness and I get entangled in wrong relationships. Why? Because I don't believe God's promise that He will never leave me nor forsake me. I don't believe that God says, I am with you. You I become hard and unforgiving towards others. Why? Because I don't actually believe that I'm saved by God's grace alone, not because of anything that I've done. So you see, we all struggle with false teaching because we all sin. So in, in, in dealing with our sin, it's not enough just to say, stop doing bad things. You know, in dealing with our sin, we've got to press a bit deeper than that and ask, us, ask ourselves, what do we actually believe about God that drives us to do this? You know, what, what false thing do we believe about God that makes us act out the way we do? So we all struggle with false teaching. We, we all have this responsibility to guard the truth, to love the truth. So, what, what encouragement can we find? That's the second point. Encouragement to guard the truth. False teaching, Paul says, is a clear and present danger. Where can we turn to, to encouragement? You know, Paul includes several important points to encourage Timothy, this young pastor. You know, Timothy was no superstar pastor, you know, he didn't have a big personality, he was probably quite shy, struggled with physical weaknesses, you know, chapter 5 tells us that he struggled with a bad stomach and other physical ailments. You know, I think we're meant to identify with Timothy in his frailty. And Paul encourages Timothy by assuring him of two things, really, God's authority and God's salvation. You know, Paul refers to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, you know, which which isn't unusual when we compare this with his other letters. But what's unusual is Paul adds, you know, I'm an apostle of Christ. I'm an, I'm an apostle by command of God and Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says by command because he's emphasizing his apostolic authority. You know, he's saying that I'm an apostle not because I want to be per se, but I'm an apostle because God commanded me. God intervened dramatically in my life. He called me. He made me, and appointed me. An apostle. So Paul is saying, you know, I'm an apostle by direct command of God. I'm an apostle by, with full authority from God. So, so his instructions to Timothy comes with God's full authority. And, and Paul emphasizes this again by calling Timothy my true child in the faith, saying that whatever authority I have from God, I have passed it on to you, Timothy, my true child in the faith. So he's encouraging Timothy to guard the truth with the full confidence that what he is guarding is the truth and is the authoritative word of God. You know, we live in an age of, as I said earlier, an age of ideological pluralism that questions the notion of objective truth. You know, you know people say things like, you know, yeah, you have your truth, I have mine. It's all a matter of interpretation anyway, no one's right all views are equally valid. I mean, we live in that kind of age of post-truth. You know, John Stott, describing the spirit of the times, said these words, the most prized value, the most prized virtue is tolerance. You know, tolerance, you know, this kind of tolerance, it, it tolerates everything except the intolerance of those who insist that certain ideas are true and others false. Know, while certain practices are good and others evil. So, so we're called to be tolerant, except, you know, but we shouldn't tolerate those who say something is true and, the, and something is false, right? We, you know, that, that kind of, it's a strange kind of tolerance that we're meant to have. So when we say that Jesus is the truth, you know, we risk being called arrogant and intolerant. You know, that, that's the age that we live in. But we must go on believing and speaking the truth. Now we must go on speaking of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We are to be faithful to this apostolic witness to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm an apostle by command of God. I speak with God's authority. So what we have here is the very word of God delivered to us by the Apostle Paul. And our authority doesn't come from ourselves, but our authority comes from God Himself as we are faithful to His Word. And we are to speak God's Word into a world that urgently needs to hear God's voice. And Our, our ability to speak with authority and relevance depends on our faithfulness to God's truth. You know, if we stray from God's Word, if we stray from God's truth, the, the world has no reason to listen to us. You know, this is our charge to Fedora, uh, to Fedora earlier on in the service. Our charge to her is to speak God's truth. Wherever you go, by land or wherever else, speak God's truth because that, that's, what, that's where your message is really relevant. Because God knows what His world needs to hear. And we're to speak God's truth into this world. You know, not too long ago, I, I attended a, a small group Bible study you know, whose, who shall remain unnamed. (laughs) Uh, So everyone had their Bibles open in this Bible study. But when the leader asked questions, uh, no one was actually looking at the Bible and giving their responses. Everyone was just, you know, the leader asked a question, and everyone just gave their own opinions, talked about their ideas, talked about their thoughts, but no one actually looked at the Word of God. And when when it came time for application, no, everyone just spoke about how someone else needed to hear this or that truth. I, I confess, I left the Bible study really, really discouraged. And I thought I was thinking to myself, what, what was the point of all that? You know, people were just giving their own opinions, and and when God's word tried to, you know, impose itself on their lives, they just kind of deflected it by saying, oh, that person needs to hear this, or this other person needs to hear this. You know, I, I tell this story they kind of help us to, to, to think about you know, why do we come around God's Word. You know, we, we need to beware of enjoying Bible study for its own sake. The false teachers, they loved Bible study. They loved Bible study. Now, these false teachers, they, they enjoyed getting more knowledge and asking all kinds of clever questions about the text. But the false teachers missed the whole point of why they should know God's Word. Instead of becoming more like Christ, they actually wandered away into vain discussions. You know, you can imagine their Bible studies be becoming just discussions of everything except the Word of God. You know, it's just maybe like quarreling over opinions, but not quite looking at the Word of God. So I would like to encourage us, right, as we come to the Word, now we need to be asking the so what question, right? Now, every time we come to the Word of God, we need to ask so what? God, you, you've just revealed this truth to me, so what? Now, where are you pressing this truth on my life? Now, where, where in my heart do I really need to hear this? You know, where in my life do I need to conform more and more to your son? You know, that's the so what question. And we need to ask that question of ourselves, not, not just of the people in our groups or other people, but we need to ask that question of ourselves. You know, so what? Is the truth really being pressed on our hearts in that way. Paul calls us to put ourselves under Scripture and not above it. God's Word is meant to show us our sin, God's Word is meant to show us our need for Jesus, and God's Word is meant to convict, to to challenge and to change us so that we become more and more like His Son. So every time we come to His Word, we need to humbly ask God to show us help us to know ourselves in light of His Word and to know Him in light of His Word. Which brings us to Paul's second encouragement to Timothy. He assures Timothy of God's salvation. He says, Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 2. It reminds us that God speaks His truth in order to save us. God's Word reveals His glory and grace. God's Word reveals the, the beauty of Christ, His mercy towards sinners like us. Now, God's Word speaks of how this Saviour Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us new life to all who believe in Him. The Bible speaks of how Jesus gives us peace and, and brings us back into a reconciled relationship with God. You know, th- th- this is what the Bible speaks to us and we need to take it in in order to have our hearts come alive and respond to God with trust and obedience. Finally, third point. What's the goal of guarding the truth? What's the goal of guarding the truth? Paul tells us the reason in verse 5. He says the aim of our charge, the, the goal of our charge, the aim of our charge is love. You know that, that that might surprise some of us because you know sometimes we think about truth and love as kind of opposing things, mutually exclusive things. You know, if you love them, maybe you want to kind of tell a white lie because you don't want to hurt them, right? So you kind of some some of us might see truth and love as opposing things, but Paul says no. The love is the reason why Timothy must put a stop to the false teaching. You know, Paul says it's it, it's out of love for God. It's out of love for God's people. That's why you're to guard the truth. You know, Paul loves these Christians at Ephesus and, and he would do anything to safeguard their spiritual well-being, to protect them from spiritual harm. That's why he says to Timothy, love these people by guarding the truth. Make sure that they grow to maturity in Christ. That's the best way you can love them. So when confronted with error and falsehood, the most loving thing to do is to speak the truth and not remain silent. You know, imagine that we're having lunch together, you, know, you and me, we're sitting face to face, and lunch is going well, you know, we're having a good conversation, everything's fine, and then suddenly you notice this really long strand of noodle on my cheek. It's really obvious, you know, this bright yellow noodle on my cheek. You know, but I'm still talking, I'm still acting as if everything's fine, you know, just kind of having a good time, Enjoying fellowship with you, but, but you know, as you talk with me, you just can't get your eye off that noodle. You know, it's like, you, you, stop, you stop seeing me, all you see is that noodle. It's like you're not even listening to what I'm saying anymore because you just say noodle. You know, noodle. What do you do? But yeah, you can say, okay, you know, I don't, you know Eugene's really enjoying himself. I don't really want to kind of spoil things by talking about the Noodle. So you know, maybe I'll just let it ride. You know, you, you know, having a good time with Eugene. So you know, I'll I'll just keep talking and try not to notice the noodle. You know, kind of, maybe like avert my gaze from that noodle. You know, but after a while, you realise, what well, I cannot. Uh, you know, the, the noodles noodle is very obvious. <laughs> can't can't stop looking at it. So what do you do? You lovingly say, "Hey, uh, Eugene. Uh, you know, before you tell that joke, <laughs> maybe you should hear this. Uh, you know, this is really long <laughs> noodle." that's on your cheek, and I really need to tell you this because I love you, brother, and I don't want you to walk around after this with a noodle on your cheek. So out of love, I tell you, you know, you need to take the noodle off. Oh, wow, thanks, thanks for telling me, you know. It's so awkward and embarrassing, but thank you for telling me. Otherwise, I'll be walking out of this restaurant with a noodle on my cheek the whole day. That's what it looks like, right? I think that's what God is calling us to do. To, to speak the truth in love to one another in that way. Right? The aim of our charge is love. You know, we're meant to notice things on each other's faces. You know, I say that figuratively. Notice things on each other's faces and lovingly point them out. You know, because you love the person. You don't want the person to be walking around with food on his face or her face. So you lovingly point things out in each other's lives. Why? Because you love them. You speak the truth into their lives because you love them. And you want them to become more and more like Jesus. That, that's the most loving thing to do. The unloving thing to do is to go to someone else and say, hey, did you see the long noodle on Eugene's face? Wow, that was a long noodle. That's the most unloving thing to do, actually. You know, If you see a noodle on my face, come talk to me about my noodle. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't talk around me Don't talk behind me to someone else, but come confront me about my noodle. we, We do this out of love for one another, and that's exactly what Paul says. The aim of our charge is not to be right. The aim of our charge is not because we love the truth as some abstract thing. The aim of our charge is love. God calls us to humbly, gently speak the truth into each other's lives. You know, and, and what do you do? You know, If someone is lovingly telling you about your noodle, then what do you do? The best way you can respond is not to be defensive, not to pretend the noodle doesn't exist. The best way you can respond is to thank the person and say, thank you for lovingly telling me. I thank Jesus for you. I thank, Je- I th- I thank Jesus that you were humble and courageous and loving enough to tell me about my noodle so that I can better follow Jesus. And, and, and the more we respond that way ourselves, the more people will feel at ease telling us things about how we can grow to become more like Christ. But if we short-circuit that process, the first time someone tells us, we say, "Huh? are you kidding me? You, know, you don't know me. You, know, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand. You know, if we respond that way, in a defensive way, I can guarantee you that very few people will come up to you and tell you how you can grow become more like Jesus. We're actually doing it to our own detriment. So how should we respond? With thankfulness, with gratitude. Now even if someone is really awkward and comes to us you know, come somewhat awkwardly, we still thank God for them because that's what God uses in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We must be motivated by love. Otherwise, we can become harsh and critical towards others. You notice Paul was very strong and uncompromising in how he dealt with the false teachers. But elsewhere, we know that he still loved even these false teachers. Now listen to what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then he says this, God may perhaps... Grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Paul still loved these false teachers. He didn't agree with their false teaching. He wanted to put an end to their false teaching. But he loved them enough to desire their repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The motivation must be love. So truth and love are not mutually exclusive. They, they both come from God. If, if we love one and if we are growing in God's truth, it will show in our relationships. It will show in the way we treat one another. That's what it means to grow in the truth. God's truth leads us to love God. You know, truth is ultimately a person, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He, he's the Word who reveals God to us so that we can know Him and love Him and be loved by Him. Truth is not just doctrinal statements. It's not just, theology or propositions. you know, It is those things, but it's so much more than those things. Truth is relational. Truth is a person who has revealed God to us. And the more we know the truth, the more we will know a person, God Himself. And, and the more we know God, the more our hearts will grow in affection for Him. The, the more a life of worship will overflow out of our hearts into our lives, into even the lives of the people around us. That's what it means to grow in the truth. You know, that's, that's why there's a difference between knowing a lot about God and actually knowing God. Now, have, you, have you ever spent time with someone who really knew God, really knows God? You know, I think if, if you're in the company of someone who really knows God, I think you sense their joy, you sense their contentment. You, you, you sense their satisfaction in Christ. You know, that, that's what it means to, to really know God. It overflows out of our hearts, into our lives, into our relationships because the truth is a person and the truth is relational. True love comes from the truth. Paul says love issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. True Christ-like love is the fruit of a life transformed by the truth of the gospel. You know, only Jesus can change our hearts and, and give us pure hearts. Only Jesus can purify our conscience. and Only Jesus can give us genuine faith. Now, this is why we got the truth. And we got the truth because Jesus is the truth. He's the way and He's the life. We got the truth because it is only through Jesus that we're able to love and live for the glory of God. That's why we got the truth. May God help us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken. And Father, we thank You that You love us enough to reveal Yourself to us, to send Your Son to be the Word, to speak into our lives. Father, we pray that as we come to You, we we pray that You would help us. Help us to respond to Your truth, not with hardness of heart, not with cold hearts, but help us to respond to You with hearts that are open, with hearts that are soft to Your Word. Father, as we spend this time in silent reflection. Father, we pray that your Spirit would convict us. Father, we pray that your Spirit would remove anything in our hearts that are are obstacles to your truth doing its work in our lives. Father, humble us before you. Grant us openness. Grant us favour. Be faithful to us, O Lord. Work in our lives for the glory of your name. Father, we bear your name and so we plead with you. Work in us by your truth, we ask.